It's a new year. The Bible talks a lot about new things. Newness is a good thing. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but you know who you are. How many of you abhor change? How many of you, when I say that it's a new thing, freak out a little bit inside? There's nothing to freak out about. God says to sing a new song, right? We just heard Valerie read that great verse about how the new has come. Behold, that we are a new creation in Christ. At the end of the story, we know that John, the revelator, saw a new heaven and a new earth. Newness is a good thing. And this new year, we are going to be dwelling in God's word in a way that I hope we've never done before. My, my prayer and hope is that we all will partake deep in the word of God that transforms us together collectively as a church and as a people throughout this year. So when Lynn Becker sang, thank you, Lynn, for leading us. I love that song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. There she is. Thanks. <laughs> See, uh, it's, it's highly appropriate for this time as well because what we're talking about is the word of God. That's something you say, right, the word of God, the Bible, right? Well, the Word of God is one of those church phrases that we kind of throw around in church a lot of times that we may not really know what we're talking about. Karl Barth, the Swiss theologian from the early 1900s, had a really helpful way of looking at this idea of what the Word of God is. Because last week, you may have heard on Christmas Day, we talked about John 1, where the, the Bible tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The Word became flesh. So what's the word of God? It's Jesus Christ. And that's true. The logos, the word of God is Jesus Christ. But then you say, well, why do we call this the word of God? Because every page of this whispers the name of Jesus. The, the Bible shows us the true logos. This word of God reveals the true word of God. And then we also know that preaching and proclamation is also the word of God. The Bible says to preach the word. Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. So how is proclamation the word? Well, hopefully when we're teaching or preaching, Dennis Roman just quoted a lot of scripture in his Sunday school lesson this morning because that's what we teach and preach here at Woodmont because God has revealed his ways to us through scripture. So when we teach or preach, it's also the word. Does that make sense? So it's Jesus and the Bible and proclamation are all the word of God. And it all centers around Jesus Christ. Let's not forget that. That's where our attention truly is. We don't want to be guilty of replacing uh, so many evangelical churches worship the Holy Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures, right? It's not that we worship this. We worship Jesus Christ. We've got to remember that that's what it's about and that this reveals Jesus Christ to us. So you might ask, why are we doing this? Why would we, in the middle of an interim time, take on such a, a great undertaking of reading the Bible through in a year? Well, here's the thing. When God saves a person, they are made right with God. They are justified before God. I pray that all of us have experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ that comes through faith, right, in, in Christ himself. But too many of us leave it there, right? Justification is only the beginning of the Christian's life, however. For the rest of our lives, or the rest of our days on this earth, we're in another process. Yes, we are made right with God. Yes, we are justified. Yes, when we die, we will go to heaven and spend eternity with God. 
But there's something else that happens before that time. And it's a process called sanctification. So justification comes first, and then sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is just meshing the reality of our spiritual life, that we are right with God, with our actual daily life. Sanctification means that, that little by little, daily, uh, one step at a time, we are living into the spiritual reality that is already present in our lives. That we are becoming the true, righteous, holy saints that God has indeed made us through Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Sanctification is living into the reality of our true inward uh, spiritual hearts. Paul says in the, in the New Testament that sanctification is putting on the new, right? Like Valerie read, and putting off the old self. Becoming the new humanity that, that Jesus Christ died to make us. It's a daily process of becoming more and more like Jesus in our speech and actions and faith and becoming less and less like Adam and Eve, our fallen ancestors who lived in the flesh. Romans 8.29 reminds us of this truth. Paul writes, For those whom Christ foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What Paul is saying here is that we become children of God by being conformed to the likeness of Christ himself. Again, you may be asking, okay, so why? What does it matter? Why don't we just, you know, we're justified before God. Why does sanctification matter? Well, at first, it, it makes you more effective in the mission that God is doing in this world. God is in the middle of writing his redemption story on the canvas of the universe, and he has a part for you to play in it. We were designed for this purpose, to glorify God by faithfully playing our part in his redemptive purposes for the cosmos. And when we do that, we, we, that's the second part, is that we live the abundant life that he came to bring us. God wants you to thrive. He wants you to live passionately, full of joy, and with a purpose in your life, and meaning, and significance, a life that matters for the kingdom, ultimately. You've heard that little uh, quote from C.H. Studd that says, only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you want a life of significance, then you live into this purpose of sanctification. That's how you do that. So how does sanctification happen? How does the, the slow transformation more of being more and more conformed to the image of Christ take place? Well, I would argue, and many other people would argue, that one of the main ways sanctification happens is through God's Word. The great evangelist D.L. Moody is once quoted as saying, the Bible was not given for our instruction, it was given for our transformation. We are transformed by reading the Bible. It's part of growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ as we walk this path of the Christian journey that we all have before us. The, the Christian journey is a journey of discipleship. What's discipleship? Well, you know, disciples followed their rabbi, literally followed him, walked behind their rabbi in order to be like their rabbi. Discipleship is a journey of becoming like our rabbi. And a big part of that is reading the Bible. When we dwell in, in God's revealed, written revelation of himself, each day 
then we are more and more transformed into the people he made us to be. It's a key component of discipleship because the more we know his word, the more we will know our rabbi because every page whispers his name. And we're not just reading the Bible. One does not simply read Holy Scripture. The Bible is unlike any other written document that we have. It, it, in, 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 it informs us, yes, but it's not a newspaper. It's not a periodical. Yes, it instructs us, but it's not a how-to manual, despite what you may have heard some preachers and teachers say. It tells us about the past, yes, but it's not a history textbook. It's a living document. Hebrews 4, verse 12, it'll be on the screens, says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Look out when you read this thing, okay? Of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Yikes. It might make you a little more trepidatious next time you read scripture. We don't just read it. It's a living document. Therefore, we interact with it. Scripture moves and we must move with it. There's a kind of dance that takes place. Can I say that in a Baptist church? Are we a, is this a dancing church? I hope so. I hope it is. There's a dance that happens when you read Scripture. Scripture moves and you have to move with it or you push back against it. It's a dance that happens as you read. Eugene Peterson gives us another metaphor. We don't, we don't just dance with Scripture, we consume Scripture. I think he had the prophet Ezekiel in mind when he wrote the little book called Eat This Book. I love it. Eat This Book. When the Lord appears to Ezekiel at the beginning of his ministry, he appears in glory and majesty, shows up to Ezekiel, and he hands him a scroll. In chapter 3, verse 2 of Ezekiel, the prophet says, So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. We'll get to that in a minute. There's a great quote that, that Peterson uses in the introduction to this book. Let me share it with you. He says, Christians don't simply learn or study or use Scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in the company of the Son. If reading the Bible doesn't result and metabolize acts of service, then we are doing it in vain. We are reading for nothing. I was talking to one of our faithful members here at Woodmont who is, is a part of a Bible study group that meets on a weeknight, and he was telling me about a, a guy who has been in this Bible study for years and years with him. And this guy always likes to bring up how he's read the Bible cover to cover. And this guy from Woodmont was telling me, and this guy who always quotes this, uh, that always cites the fact that I've read the Bible cover to cover, is one of the most ungodly people you could ever meet in your life. Just not the, the person who's formed by Scripture. We must remember when we read the Bible, 
it's asking us to change. There must be life change that comes with it. This is not a legalistic endeavor so that we can brag about reading the scripture, is it? It must lead to acts of love that accompany it. So this morning, I want us to take a look at one of the greatest texts in the whole Bible about God's word, Psalm 119. I think it's highly appropriate that as we begin a year of reading the scripture that we spend a little time this morning in Psalm 119. It's an absolutely incredible song. You know, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's, it's longer than several books of the Bible even are. It, it, the cool thing about it is it's made of 22 different stanzas, and there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And each stanza has eight verses. And every verse in the Hebrew starts with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet. We lose that in the English translation. But the first stanza is Aleph, and every verse starts with an Aleph. And then the next verse is Beit, and then Gimel, then Dalit. And it all starts with the Hebrew letter of that stanza. It's a pretty amazing, beautiful, acrostic poem. And we're not, like I said, we're not going to read all 176 verses today, but we will start with the Beit stanza in verse 9 this morning. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. It's powerful stuff, isn't it? It's such a beautiful psalm. The whole thing is like this. It's a song of praise, thanking God for giving us his written revelation of himself to us, his word. Out of the 176 verses in this psalm, only six verses in the entire thing do not mention something about God's word or his precepts, or his testimonies, or his commandments, or his ways, because it's a hymn of praise for those things. There's this pervasive sense of yearning, too. Do you hear the desire? Teach me your statutes. I want to learn, God. I want to live like you made me to live. There's this deep desire that you see throughout this psalm, this desire to learn from God's words so that he can live according to them. So how can we keep our lives pure, he asked in verse 9? How do we live in a, a way that is best? We must guard our ways according to God's word, says the psalmist. A, a daily consumption of God's word will shape the way that we live our lives daily. It will line up our lives with God's life. And then in verse 10, the psalmist says, I seek you, Lord, with my whole heart, not a divided heart, but my whole heart. So help me not to stray from your ways. So he knows that God's ways are best, but he's also very self-aware of his tendency to stray. It reminds me of the hymn, Come Thou Fount, in the, the third stanza. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. 
seal it for thy courts above. And when I was a child, I'm sure many of you, when you were children, memorized verse 12 in Sunday school or in church. Verse 11, sorry, verse 11. I've stored up your word in my heart. I've hidden your word, says the the King James. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. I hope that we're memorizing the scripture this year, that we're not just dancing with it, not just consuming it, but that we're putting it up in our minds and allowing it to soak into our hearts and transform us. Do you know people who can just quote scripture off the top of their heads like crazy? I I hear Dr. Bill Sherman is just amazing. His wealth of scripture memory and knowledge is incredible. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to have a wealth of a treasury of God's word in your heart? I do. I hope that we can find a verse each week to memorize throughout this year. That's another resolution that I'm making. And then twice in this stanza, the psalmist mentions delighting in God's word. Verse 14 says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. So what is it that you delight in today? What is it that brings an unforced smile to your face? What is it that really makes you happy? Would you delight if you won the lottery? I would. He says, I delight in your word as much as in all riches. Do we really delight in God's word that much, honestly? Do we take pleasure when we read about his revealed ways for his covenant people? Would we delight in God's word as much as we would in all riches in the world? You know, when the, when the British government installs a new monarch, they have a huge coronation service in Westminster Abbey, right? And a part of this service is a presentation of a King James Bible to the new monarch. When Queen Elizabeth II was crowned in 1953, the moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland presented her with this huge, beautiful King James Bible. And he says these words, here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. And those words are taken from the original introduction to the King James Bible written by the translators of the King James Bible in 1611. And they also said this in that introduction, God's sacred word is that inestimable treasure that excelleth all the riches of the earth. It's that treasure that is greater than all the riches of the earth. How is that possible? Because all the riches of the earth cannot provide us with a way to live that is consistent with God's design and purpose for our lives. All the riches of the world cannot conform us to Christ like God's revealed word can. That's why. I think if if we could only learn to see scripture in this way as excelling all the riches of the earth, then reading the Bible through in a year would not be a daunting task, but a joy to take on. I I think I've told you before about my my mentor in college, Dave Hunt. Uh, He was the university minister at Belmont when I was there. And we met with three other of my friends at the Pancake Pantry every morning at six, every Friday morning, not every morning, every Friday morning at 6.30 in the morning uh, for three and a half years. And we read God's word together. And Dave told us about his mentor, a guy named Bill Lovell. Some of you may know him. He's taught Sunday school at Brentwood Baptist for, you know, a hundred years. He told Dave he'd be reading a, 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 a text, he'd be reading a verse or a passage of a text 
and, and he would just pause and go, mmm. And they'd all kind of laugh, and he'd say, rich. That's rich. So rich. <laughs> and Dave and his buddies kind of like, what? this guy's kind of crazy. But he delighted in God's word so much that it was like watching someone eat a decadent dessert or something. Have you ever seen someone just savor the taste of some dessert that they just love so much? They said, mmm, it's rich. Would that God's word become rich to us this year, that we would delight in it as much as we would in the richest of desserts, the richest of foods that we could possibly have. And then in verse 15, the psalmist says that he's committing to meditate on God's precepts, the, the ways that God has prescribed for him to, to walk in. So what is meditation? Isn't that some kind of new age, like yoga thing? Like why are we talking about meditation? No, it's a very biblical thing. And if we're not meditating on scripture, then again, we are reading it only and not dancing with it. Don Whitney says in his book, Spiritual Disciplines, that meditation is deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in scripture for the purposes of understanding, application, and prayer. You know you can pray the Bible, right? The, this is part of consuming Scripture, that, that we slowly allow what we read to per, per, pervade our entire brain so much that it would soak into our hearts again. That's the goal. Life change. And we do this so that we can really understand what God is saying to us in His Word and then apply it after we've read it. After we understand it, then we must live it out. It must metabolize itself into acts of love, as Peterson says. I had a professor who challenged us when we were reading the Bible. He said, when you read a text, here's the hermeneutic I want you to use, the interpretation I want you to use. Ask yourself, how is this text asking me to change? It's a scary way to read the Bible. How is this text asking me to change? Try that next time. It must, meditation on scripture should lead to application of that scripture. So then let me ask this, what do we think about? What do we meditate on throughout our days? What occupies the real estate up here in our brains throughout our days? You know, it's not difficult to think about the things that we love, is it? You might be thinking about lunch right now or about that nap that you're going to take this afternoon. I am, I can't wait to take a nap. <laughs> you might be thinking about watching football. Things that you love, you naturally meditate on because you delight in them. Let's skip over to verse 97, and you'll see what I'm talking about a little bit more. We meditate on the things that we love. Verse 97 says, this is the main stanza. Every, letters, every, stanza, every verse starts with the letter M in Hebrew. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. What you love, you will meditate on. How many of you got a great gift this Christmas? I got some awesome gifts. It's, it's not hard to go throughout your day and think about those things that you received because you delighted in those gifts. So you think about them throughout your day. Well, if you receive the gift of God bringing a word to you in the morning, you will think about it throughout your day. You will meditate on that good gift that God has given you throughout your day as you go. And then it says, I meditate on Scripture all the day long. And when you do that, it, it makes you wise. Look at the next verse. Biblical wisdom is defined as the skill of the art of godly living. 
Do you want to be good at living? <laughs> That's what wisdom is, being skilled in the art of godly living. The next verse says, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it's ever with me. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. There's a wisdom, a certain kind of wisdom that can only come through meditation on God's word that far exceeds the wisdom of the teachers, that far exceeds the wisdom that comes from living a long life even. Wisdom in God's word excels past all other forms of wisdom because it shows us how to live the godly life well. This is why the, the psalmist says that God's commandments, his mitzvot in, in Hebrew, they make him wiser than his enemies, his teachers, his elders even, because he's now living into God's ways. And then he goes on to show how being in, in God's word keeps him on track throughout his life. Look at verse 101. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I don't turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. Once you've been taught the good ways of the Lord, you're able to stay on track and keep faithfully walking the path of Christian discipleship without veering. You learn to live consistently in the Christian life. And then comes one of my favorite verses, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Remember the prophet Ezekiel said that when he ate the scroll, it was as sweet as honey in his mouth. You know, Hebrew boys in the, in the ancient Near East would start Hebrew school when they were three years old. And the first day of Hebrew school, the, the rabbi would, would take their, their slate, their tablet, and he would place a dollop of honey on each slate. And he would write a word from the Torah on the slate. And the, the boys were then instructed to lick the honey off of the written Torah because God's law, God's word, God's re revelation of his ways to us are sweeter than honey, which at the time was the sweetest thing on the planet known to exist. We got some great honey from Dot White. She gave us some Tupelo honey for Christmas this year. That stuff is sweet. It's incredible. Would that God's word be as sweet to us as Tupelo honey even. My friend Rabbi Rice at Congregation Micah said that in the Reformed Jewish circles that when a kid is preparing to read the Torah, they hand them sweet tarts as they prepare to read the Torah. The rabbis give sweet tarts to the kid to remind them of the sweetness of the living, ancient, and sacred words that they are about to read. Let's close today by looking at the next two verses. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's true, isn't it? I, I, how many of you hear Amy Grant in your head right now as you read the, verse 105? I do. I grew up listening to thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Have you heard that song? I, we used to hear that all the time in my house. And it's, it's absolutely true. God's word reveals to us the path in which we should go. It's a light unto the way that we are walking in our lives. And this was God's gracious plan from the very beginning, that he would give us his ways to show us how we should live. In Leviticus 18, back when his people were wandering around the desert and, and stuck after they fled Egypt, he, he told them this, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. He wants them to thrive. God loves his people and wants the best life for them. 
So he says, I've given you these things. Now you shall follow them and walk in them because I am the Lord. And then many, many years later, God sent the prophet Hosea to the northern kingdom of Israel around the 700s BC, right before the Assyrians came in to wipe them out. And he told his people, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Let him meditate on them. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. He's saying, guys, please get it together, because you're stumbling, and now I'm going to judge you for it, because I love you. I'm going to send the Assyrians to wipe you out. But the ways of the Lord are right. Just walk in them. So my prayer is that this year will be the, the best year of our lives, honestly, for all of us, that this will be the best year of our lives. My sincere hope and, and prayer for Woodmont Baptist Church during 2017 is that this would be a year where all of us experience tremendous growth through God's word, that our Christian journey becomes one that is more solidified and consistent as we walk the path of Christian discipleship, that we will immerse ourselves in God's word like never before, that we will learn to dance with scripture, that will consume scripture, and that it will then metabolize itself into acts of love and service and justice around the world. I pray that we will delight in scripture, that it will be sweeter to us than honey, and that we will experience the unity of the faith that only comes through the Holy Spirit who indwells us as God's people and guides us as we read his word. John Piper, you know, the author and the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, says this, for Christians, we are a people of the book. We know God through the book. We meet Christ through the book. We see the cross in the book. We know God through the book. Our faith and love are kindled by the glorious truths of the book. We have tasted the divine majesty of the word and are persuaded that the book is God's inspired and infallible written revelation. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for giving us your written word. We thank you that you didn't abandon us to try to figure out life for ourselves, but that Jesus Christ himself gave us words of life and that they have been recorded in written form. God, we thank you for your, your ways, for your commandments, your precepts, your testimonies, your commandments show us how to live best. May we walk in them as we leave this place. May we be faithful to consume your word each day. May we learn the dance the moves that are necessary to interact with Holy Scripture. God, I pray that you would make us faithful as we consume your word each day. Lord, I pray that you would grant us unity as your people, as we seek your will for Woodmont in the next 75 years of this church's existence. Lord, I pray that you would do great things, that you would blow us away, and that one year from now we will look back on 2017 and say, wow, Look at all that our Lord did. 
Lord, we love you. We pray this all in your high and your holy name, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one whose name is whispered on every page of the Bible. Amen.